Masechet Sota Daf Kaf Zayin, in which we complete the fourth pedic and begin the fifth. Amar Shemuel Yisa Adam Duma, Val Yisa Bat Duma. We're talking about Duma, which means a woman about that people are talking about a lot. There's a lot of rumors about her <clears throat> um, that she is being very flirtatious. So the question is, uh, should one, is it better if you have to choose to marry a Duma or the daughter of a Duma? Oh, we'll see a machloket about this. Shemuel says, better to marry this reportedly flirtatious woman herself rather than the daughter of that Duma. Uh, better the Duma herself than the daughter of the Duma. Why? Because the mother uh, came from a, a good good seed. We know who her parents are. Her parents, there were no rumors about her, so we know her parents are good, kosher um, uh, people who had a good marriage. There's no, uh, no uh, sus- suspicion that she is a mamzeret. Whereas the daughter of the Duma, even though that daughter may be a very fine person and good midot and learns Torah and uh, right, everything good, the problem is that because there's rumors that her mother was promiscuous, it's possible that she committed adultery and had this child from adultery, in which case she would be a mamzeret. So, so therefore, you should choose the one who's for sure kosher and not a mamzeret, rather the one who is a mamzeret, even though the Duma herself is of questionable character. So that's Shemuel's opinion. Rabbi Yochanan says the opposite. Rabbi Yochanan Amar, Yisa Adam bat Duma ve'al Yisa Duma, shezo omedet bechazkat kashrut, vezo enah omedet bechazrat kashrut. Better for a person to marry the daughter of this uh, suspected woman. This is why it's related here to Sota. It's a different type of suspicion. It's not official legal suspicion, uh, but rather just that there are rumors. Uh, people see her being flirtatious. Better to marry her daughter than she herself. Why? Because um, the daughter has a chazkat kashrut in general. Um, uh, Unless, in general, you can assume that a person's parents are their parents. If you have a a couple who's married and they have a child, you can assume that you don't have to do a paternity test uh, to make sure. And so therefore, unless there's proof otherwise that um, uh, that the mother had this daughter out of wedlock and therefore that committed adultery and this mom said it unless you have proof uh, otherwise we say kashrut. so therefore the daughter we assume is kosher meaning not a mom and the daughter herself has no bad rumors against her so she's a fine person better to marry that person rather than the mother where there's no chazkat kashrut. Here the word kashrut is being used in a different sense, not that she's a mamzeret. The mother is nothing wrong with the, mom, with the mother, but rather kashrut in terms of her uh, character trait, right? We know that uh, there's a chazaka, at least, not a proof, but there's a chazaka that she is a problematic character and acts promiscuously. So we should focus on the character and the character of the mother is no good. The character of the daughter is fine. And there's uh, uh, we can follow a chazaka that she's not a mamzeret. Okay, so now we're going to ask a question. Metibe, challenge to Rabbi Yochanan. No se adam duma. Here's a braita that says one may marry a duma, meaning the mother herself. And Rabbi Yochanan, you said better to marry the daughter. And uh, so that means don't marry the mother. But this braita says go ahead and marry the duma. 
אמר רבה, ותסבר הנושא לך תחילה, אלא אם נשא, תנהנה מבת דומה. So Rav says, this is no challenge to Rabbi Yochanan. Because do you think this Braita really means Lecha Techila? One should marry a Duma? No, what this Braita means to say is Nasa. If one married a woman who had been promiscuous and had a rumor of such in a previous marriage, um, then the marriage is okay, right? We, uh, the, the marriage is valid. It's just saying, it can't be saying that Lecha Techila you should... Um, uh, go, you, you should uh, marry such a person. And once you're changing the word from nosea to nasa, um, so then you can also equally change it to um, one should marry, it's fine to marry, a bat duma. So we see that this, uh, this baraita is not really vel- relevant. And truth is that the baraita is way too short um, uh, because the baraita is not, uh, beforehand we were saying if you have a choice between duma and bat duma, then which one should you choose? This baraita is just not, is not, a, is not necessarily talking about a case where you have a choice. It's just that there's a Duma here, they um, are going to get married, or they already got married, and is it a valid marriage or not? So saying, yes, it's a valid marriage, but it wasn't really addressing the Bat Duma, and so that's uh, Rava's point, that uh, this uh, Braita is in fact too vague, and really only means to say, but the Avad, it's okay. All right, Vehil Chata was the bottom line, Yisa Adam Bat Duma, Val Yisa Duma, Halacha is in fact like Rabbi Yochanan, even though we, we challenged him, but we successfully answered the challenge, Better to marry the daughter of such a suspected woman. And this is the proof. This is why we have cheskat kashrut, and we don't assume a person is a mamzeret, even if they're, the mother is uh, is suspected. Because a woman who uh, is not faithful, her, her children are still kosher, not mamzerim, because the majority of intercourse um, of this woman is with her husband, right? As long as they're married, they are living together. And so even if, even if uh, sometimes she goes and uh, commits adultery, but the majority of the time she is with her husband, and therefore we can assume that the children are from the married father. Um, now, Rav Amram's challenge is further. What if she was very, very adulterous? Um, and so maybe this wouldn't be true that the majority of her relations are were with her husband. What if it's not true? So, so uh, the answer to this will depend on another another uh, matter. Uh, according to the person, the opinion that says um, a woman only gets pregnant close to the time of her period. Um, now this is not scientifically true. Um, time of period, woman will not get pregnant. But the, according, if that were tr- if that were true, then you would have no question because. Um, the husband doesn't know when that when that would be that he could watch over her, and so therefore that would be a problem, um, since the husband doesn't know when she um, when her period is coming, um, when it's going to come, and so he's not going to watch out and make sure she doesn't go out, and so then she may com- very well commit adultery because she's this is a very pr- very promiscuous woman. And then um, um, most of her relations may well be without, uh, not with her husband, and therefore her children will be moms. We have to suspect 
may be mamzerim. So that's not what we're talking about. So that would be an easy case. Rather, the question of Ramam is only relevant in a case uh, according to the opinion that says a woman only gives birth close to the time of her tevila, which is the scientifically true time, that the time of ovulation is about two weeks after the onset of menstruation, which is also around the time uh, that most women will go to the mikveh. So, according to that opinion, what do we say? Since the husband does know, right, he does know when his wife is going to the mikveh, um, and so therefore, he'll make sure, you know what, I want to really make sure that my wife is uh, not going to give birth, he, he, I'm sure he's upset that she's committing adultery anyway, right, but um, he's going to be extra, extra, um, uh, uh, careful to make sure his wife doesn't become pregnant with another man. I assume she also, um, even if she is an adulteress, she also will not want to have a child that's a mamzed, and she will not want to have the child out of uh, wedlock. And so, therefore, um, they will be careful. Uh, and uh, she, uh, the uh, it's, it's easy to know the time when the um, when she's going to the mikveh. So they will be careful, and he will watch her to make sure she doesn't go out and be with anybody else. Um, so do we say that? And therefore, even if she's very promiscuous and most of her uh, intercourse is not with her husband, but the, during the time of ovulation, most of her intercourse is with her husband. So therefore, we can assume the child is kosher. Or do we say, well, if she's really so promiscuous, then she's not going to care and he won't be able to control his wife. And uh, even during the time of ovulation, she will have most of her intercourse out with uh, the adulterer. And so and uh, we cannot be careful. And therefore, um, it doesn't matter. And the, we have to suspect... <clears throat> that the children will be mamzerim. So that's the two sides of the question. Take all, we leave it open-ended. Ve'elu shebet din, the Mishnah mentioned a few people where the bet din will step in on behalf of the husband and warn the wife if she uh, looks like she is um, acting uh, flirtatiously. Tenor banan ish matamodomad ish ish. So the beginning of the chapter on Sota uh, addresses ish ish, any man. Why the extra word ish? This comes to include not just a, a regular person who can uh, warn his wife and make her a sota, but also the if the man is deaf or he is uh, is, is not sane or he's like totally um, in vegetable state. Um, or the husband is away on a long trip, or he's in jail. In all cases, he's either incarcerated or incapacitated and is not in a position to be able to warn his wife. If the Betin sees that she is acting improperly, they can go ahead and give her a warning, don't be secluded with that person. And if she is secluded with that person, then that she will lose her ketubah. 
So they can make her a sota for the purpose of losing her ketubah. But now we ask, can they make her a sota fully to such an extent that they can even bring her to the Beit HaMikdash and make her drink the bitter waters? That's why the Pasuk says the husband has to bring his wife. Only the husband can make her drink. A betin can make her a sota to lose her ketubah, but a betin can't make her drink. That was Tanakama. However, Biosa says, even the Betin can even make her sota as an introduction to her drinking. Not that the Betin can make her drink without the husband, but that they could start the process. And then when the husband gets out of jail, then he can make her drink. According to, 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 to Tanakama, they're, this, they're, they're making a sota, but it's not an, officially a sota. They can only make her lose her ketubah. But even if, if they declare her a sota and she was secluded, still the husband would have to start the process all over again if he wanted to make her drink. It doesn't, um, it doesn't start the official husband process. According to Tanakama, according to the Biose, it does. What's that the root of their machloket? Since the Pasuk first says, he will warn his wife, and then he will bring his wife to the Kohen to drink. So, do you connect those two words together? Tanakama says, yes, you connect them together, and the person or entity who warned her is all is the only one that can also make her drink so if it's the husband then that's good the husband warned her she secluded he can bring her to drink but if it was the betin that warned her um then the husband cannot make her drink because it has to be the same entity and the betin can't do both because it has to be ish so that's why the banan say the betin cannot make her drink and the, her, his war their warning cannot introduce the process uh, leading to her drink Whereas the Biosez says, um, we do not need it for, to, for the same entity to be doing both actions. And since the Betin, we learn from Ish Ish, they can do the warning. Um, and or even though they can't finish the process, because says Aish, the husband has to finish the process, but the Betin can start it, make her a, call her a sota, and the husband gets out of jail or becomes sane, and he can then um, make her drink and because you don't need the same entity to do the warning as as doing the drinking. We saw this Midrash quoted above on Kaftalid Amudbet, but we did not explain it uh, back there um, because this is where the explanation appears. Uh, so the Pasuk says, if a wife veers tiste um, from her husband, right? Isha is the wife, from Ish Shela from her husband. So these what's the reason why it says Isha right next to Ish Shela? Um, to connect the, the husband and the wife and the wife to the husband. So they're put, you could have just said, Asher tisteh isha, right? If she's a wife, then you know there's a husband. Why do you have to say from the husband to connect them together that their definitions are dependent upon each other? So one thing we learn is, if the man is blind, he would not be able to make his wife drink because the Pasuk says, if the matter was hidden from his eyes, or taking that literally, it's really about knowledge, but taking it literally, if he is blind, then he, he cannot, this cannot apply to him. And we learn if the, just like us, if the husband is blind, she does not drink. So too, if only the wife is blind, 
Also, she is not um, uh, she is not capable of drinking. Rav Ashe Amar, Keshem Sheikh Gedet Vigidemet Loita Shota, Tihtiv Amid, a Kohenet Aishalif Nashem, Venatan Al Kapeha, Kahu, Imhu, Imhayahiger, Ogidem, Lohaya Mashke. Second thing we learn is the other way around. If the wife um, is uh, lame or missing hands, uh, then she would not drink. Uh, why not? Because the Pasuk says that the Kohen will make her stand um, there in the Bet Mikdash before Hashem. So she has to be able to stand. Um, so we're taking that literally. And if she's, if, she, um, if she's not able to stand, there's a problem with her legs. And she will not be able to drink. Also, um, he she he puts the meal offering on her hands. She has to hold it and do the and do the waving. If kapeha, if she doesn't have hands, then she won't be able to do that. And therefore, since she can't do the ceremony, she won't uh, she won't be um, uh, she won't be able to drink. So that that's the one side. And now we connect the woman to the man uh, to say that he also, if the husband is uh, lame or missing hands, he also will not be able to make her drink. And the third law we learned, we learned from the connection is that if she uh, was mute, um, then she would not be capable of drinking because the she has to say amen amen when the when the kohen gives the curse she has to respond amen amen but if she is mute then she won't be able to say that so she would not be able to drink and so too um, since with since they're connected if the husband is mute then he also is incapable of uh, causing his wife to drink. That's the last word. Hadran alach arusa. And now we begin the fifth pedic. Uh, fifth pedic is interesting because the entire Mishnah of the pedic is uh, printed right up front. So today we're going to learn all of the Mishnahot of the pedic. This happens every so often that the uh, editors of the Shas did not split up split up the. Mishnayot and spread them out throughout the Gemara, but rather put them all up front so we get a chance to learn all of the Mishnayot um, together as one. The Mishnah begins with a Dirasha of Rabbi Akiva relating to Sota and then continues with other Dirashot that Rabbi Akiva made uh, relating to other subjects. It goes on different tangents and has reactions to of other sages uh, from of, uh, to what Rabbi Akiva said. So we begin. The verses regarding Sota say Ubao that the bitter waters will enter her and cause their um, their, their uh, uh, destruction. Uh, but it says it twice. So what's the second one for? Second one teaches that the water not only will evaluate the woman but also him. Him presumably refers to the adulterer that he will also feel the effects of the bitter waters. The Gemara will. Um, suggest perhaps it's uh, referring to the husband if the husband did something wrong at some point. And just like the woman, if she's guilty, she becomes prohibited to remain with her husband. They have to separate, they have to get divorced. So too, she is permanently, pro permanently prohibited 
from the adulterer. She can't go and marry him. Um, and thus we learn that from the Pasuk, Nitmea ve Nitmaa. Um, you see, it's, it's, he's only referring to one Pasuk, uh, 529 over here, where it says ve Nitmaa. And so Nitmaa teaches us that she's permitted to one person. The extra Vav comes to teach us she is permitted from another person. This typical of Rabbi Akiva's create, creative method of Derasha, um, and very expansive one, that even an extra letter can come and add an entirely new law. So just from this vav, we learned that she's prohibited not only to her husband, but also to the adulterer, according to the Biakiva. However, Amar Rabbi Yoshua, Kachaya Doresh Zechariya ben Akasav, Rabbi Omer, Shenepamim Amorim Parasha, Nitma'a Venitma'a, Echadabal Vechadaboel. He agrees with the result of the Derasha, with the law. But derives it in a different way. So according to Debias Biudanasi, who's later than Rabbi Akiva, he says you don't have to learn it from the extra letter. Um, in fact, the word Nitma is repeated twice. In fact, it's repeated more times, but uh, it's uh, at least twice. And so for one one of them, we learn that she's prohibited to the husband, and the other she's we learn that she's prohibited to the adulterer. And so this is um, agreeing with the law, but deriving it in a different way. All right, so all that related to Sota, we saw a Derashav Rabbi Akiva and someone who gave a response to Rabbi Akiva. And so now we're going to follow that pattern in a few other issues. Torah gives a special law regarding earthenware vessels. It could be a jar or an oven. Ovens were often made out of earthenware. So if you have an earthenware vessel and you something tameh, like a dead sheretz, falls inside it, even if it doesn't touch it, there is a special law of earthenware that everything inside, all the other contents inside, even if it's just hanging, become tameh, right? So you have a dead mouse hanging maybe by its tail, uh, dangling inside the oven, everything in the oven becomes tameh. Um, that's the pasuk. It doesn't say tameh, which it equally could have said in uh, in the present tense, uh, just uh, as a description, as an adjective. Um, instead, it says yitma. Now yitma actually has the same meaning. It just will become instead of the present tense uh, um, stative verb. It uses a future verb. It will become. But because there's no vocalization, yitma can be read as yitame. It can make something else tame. And so if the Torah didn't use Tameh, but used an extra Yud, that means we want to learn from it that it can make something else Tameh. So what's, the, what's the lesson of this? That um, bread or food in general, that is a Sheni La Tum'ah, can make something a Shilishi La Tum'ah. There's different degrees of Tum'ah. The Sheretz itself would be the Av HaTum'ah. If it touches something, that becomes a Rishon. And if that Rishon touches something, it becomes a Sheni. For most matters, Sheni is the last uh, level and it can no longer um, uh, uh, make something else tameh unless it's tiruma that goes an extra level or kodashim yet even a fourth level. Okay, so in general, since it doesn't say anything about here about, about tiruma, we're talking about chulin, regular food, and we would expect that this um, this bread would be the end of the line, right? It becomes Tameh, but would not be able to make anything else Tameh. But since it doesn't say Tameh, instead it says 
Yitma, um, which we're reading as Yitame, we learned that bread that is a Sheni can make something else even into a Shelishi Latuma. In this case, the Sheretz is an Av Latuma. When it goes into the airspace, it will cause the vessel to become a Dishon Latuma. The vessel will cause the bread to become a Sheni Latuma. And it says that stuff that's in it, Yitame, can make something else Tame. So therefore we see that Tame food, that's a Sheni, can make something else Shelishi Latum'a, other food. Okay, so that's the what Abiy Akiba learns. It's a big stringency that he derives. And here's the reaction. reflects on this and says, I wish someone would be able to remove the dirt from your eyes, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai. Ben Zakai was from an earlier generation. He's from the, the he's the one that famously left the walls of Yerushalayim during the destruction. That's in 70 CE. And so now Rabbi Akiva is uh, during the Hadrianic persecutions, which is 132. Right. So this is uh, six some um, 60 years later. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai had passed away in the meantime. But Rabbi Yoshua says, I wish Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai would be here to would be here to see this, because he said. Um, one day, there's going to be a generation that will say that a bread that is a shilishi latuma is tahor. Even for, even for tiruma, they're going to say there's no such thing as shilishi latuma because there's no pasuk regarding it. So this is an oral tradition that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai knew and he taught and he passed on, but it's a very loose tradition because there's no pasuk and someone, he can, he's predicting that such a loose thing, someone is going to come one day and say, hey, there's no pasuk, and then uh, the law will be lost. And look what happened now. Instead of it being lost, Rabbi Akiva came and saved the day. There probably were other groups that said, um, that this uh, there's no is no shilishi latuma right so this was a um, a live polemic and now look how to be Akiva helped us your student even though he's your student is actually a student student um, he came and he brought a pasuk from the Torah that yes something can food can become tameh as a shilishi because of this pasuk yitma doesn't say tameh yitma and so the Torah purposely uses with the yud so that we can understand it as yitameh even something that's a sheni can make food a shilishi right so um, he's reflecting on how brilliant Rabbi Akiva is this is a great example of uh, the importance of Rabbi Akiva's methodology of learning things from as we saw before an extra vav or an extra yud in this case um, and learning a learning a derasha that he in this case supports an oral tradition that without this derasha we were afraid might have been lost uh, so Rabbi Akiva was very powerful in uh, um, uh, in uh, using this methodology there's two pesukim back to back regarding the cities of Levi'im right uh, Levi'im do, do, do not get a portion uh, in Israel they don't get a, an a entire 
their area of land, but they do get the uh, cities of, of the Levi'im. Now, the Pasuk says that around the cities, they should be left a, a pe'ah, uh, usually a corner, but in this case, uh, a, an area surrounding the city of 2,000 amot. However, the Pasuk right before says um, that you leave space 1,000 amot. Well, which one is it? You can't say it's 1,000 because the other Pasuk says 2,000. You can't say 2,000 because the other Pasuk says 1,000. How can we reconcile them? So all this was Rabbi Akiva on that day. When we say on that day, um, it's often understood as referring to the day in which Rabban Gamliel was deposed from being a Nasi because he was being too authoritarian um, and Rabbi El-Azar ben Azariah became the Nasi instead and they invited all the other uh, students who normally would ke- were kept out because uh, we weren't sure if they're Tocho Kevaro, um, if they were uh, sincere and so let them in because they let them in now there was much more Torah it became more open, more democratic and so all, on that day, so many problems were solved. Uh, so this is some of the things that Rabbi Akiva himself taught on that day. Um, so how can you reconcile these two Pesukim? 1,000 Amot is called Migrash. That's open land, not used for anything, just for beautification. Uh, just but you put garden like a front lawn, a nice garden, make the city beautiful. And then 2,000 Amot that Basuk is talking about Tehum Shabbat, and this is true according to the Biakiva. He thinks that Tehum Shabbat is the Midoraita. If someone leaves 2,000 Amot outside the, the, um, uh, the uh, limits of the city, then they, are, would, be chayav, they would violate a Deoraita law. Okay, that's Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Eliezer ben Osher, Rabbi Osegeli, Omer, Elef ama migrash apayim ama sadot uchramim. Rabbi Eliezer, the son of Rabbi Osegeli, says, no, I have a different way of reconciling it. I agree, 1,000 amot, that's for the migrash, for the, uh, uh, just for beautification, but you leave it empty. And the 2,000 amot is for fields and vineyards. That's for, for, for using, so to produce some food that the Levim then can um, uh, uh, live off of. What about Tehum Shabbat? Well, he's, he follows the majority opinion, which says Tehum Shabbat is Midrabanan, and therefore there is no Pasuk for it. Good. Next issue. Uh, sang these um, uh, uh, this song, and and he said, saying, What's, what do you need? Just said, they said. Why do you need the extra word, lemor? What does it teach? It means that there was a call and response, um, that Moshe would say one thing, and all everybody would say, would respond to him as they were singing. Um, so, just like we say, halel, um, in a call and response manner, the Gemara will elaborate on how halel was said, 
and the call and response. Um, that, that's why it says, Lemor. Okay, that's what Rabbi Akiva taught from that extra word. Rabbi Nechemiah agrees that that extra word, Lemor, is to tell you that there is some call and response, but it's not the call and response that's used when we say Halel, but rather a different uh, system that we use during Kiryat Shema, and the Gemara will elaborate on what that is as well. Uh, so now we have a different Rasha, but it's also going to be uh, similar to the theme above of one rabbi saying something and another rabbi responding to him. And this one is also who will uncover the eyes of Rabbi Yochan Ben Zakai. Okay, but this one was said not by Rabbi Akiva. But by Rabbi Yehoshua uh, ben Hurkenos, he made this following drasha also on that day. Uh, he said, Iyav served God out of love, just pure love. How do you know? Because the Pasuk says, even if Hashem will slay me, I still will have faith, uh, have faith, trust in Him. All right? So in other words, I don't care what happens to me, even if I get punishment, even if God kills me, I will continue to wait and have faith in Him. Right? Very famous and inspiring Pasuk. But still, this Pasuk is ambiguous because actually it's a in uh, our text, and it's written law lamed aleph. Even if, uh, which would mean, if you read it with a law meaning not, um, that would say, if he kills me, I will not have faith in him. Which is the opposite. Now, he's only. Uh, serving God because he's alive and he has everything. That's just out of fear. And so how do we know whether we should un understand this word law as being I will always have faith and oh wait, wait for him or I will not. Lamed Aleph. So therefore we bring a yet another pasuk in the Yav, that says, until I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. No matter what happens, all the way till the end, I will always have faith. And so we see from this Pasuk, that's uh, uh, clearly, that he uh, clearly says, I will not change my mind. I will always um, be faithful. That uh, we should understand the, this Pasuk also as, I will always uh, await upon God and have faith. So therefore, Yav, was great Sadiq. He served God out of love. That's what Rabbi Yeshua ben Hurkinus said. However, Amar Rabbi Yeshua, um, this was a different Rabbi Yeshua, Mi yegale afar menecha rabban Yochanan ben Zakai, sheita doresh kol yamecha shelo avad iyob el et amakom, el amirah sheneemar ishtam veyashar yere Elohim vesar merah. Velo Yeshua tamid tamidecha, Limed asa. And so now, Rabbi Yoshua, this is the famous Rabbi Yoshua, said, Who will reveal the, uh, uh, the, the dirt from your eyes of Biochanemem and Zakai? In this case, it's not someone who's supporting, but saying, um, as it was above, um, but rather saying something different. Um, for all of your days, ben Zakai, um, you always said that Iyov served God only out of fear, as it says in his description in the first pasuk that Iyov was uh, wholehearted and upright. 
uh, fearing God and shunned evil. So it says, Yere Elohim. It does not say that he had Ahavat Hashem. And uh, so you, that, that's what you taught. But now look, Yehoshua, your students, taught that Yov actually was Me'ahava. So actually it's somewhat similar to before. Rabbi Yochumer there was afraid that someone's going to lose out on this halacha and he was not able to uh, find a derasha for it. The Biakiva came and saved the day. And here also, I think it's out of triumph that, um, not that Ibi ben Zakai said, Lo, look what your student student said who disagreed with you. I think it's the opposite. You know, you taught it out of fear. But look how your student student is able to melamed zechut and find something even better about uh, Iyov. We'd rather, we'd rather Iyov be more righteous. Right? And so you uh, were following the, 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 the straightforward reading, Yireh Elohim, and said, oh, that's all I could find about to, about Eov. That's as good as he was. But now, look, we we um, we helped out and did better. We're helping Eov, and we see that actually he served God purely me'ahava. Baruch Adonai le'olam. Amen ve'amen.